fun of keeping track. In this episode, Ro, Alicia, and I discuss why we wanted to start this podcast in the first place and what's unique about it. Although we plan to interview women in the sports world, we basically interview each other in this episode about the upcoming IAAF World Championships, Alicia's medal reallocation ceremonies, clean sport, dream maternity, and race day nerves. This is Keeping Track, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montagna, and Rome McGettigan. We wanted to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. Thanks for listening to us. I wanted to create this podcast to serve as another media outlet out there that is sharing stories about all the amazing women in our sport of track and field and beyond. I want to showcase the female coaches, leaders, entrepreneurs, and athletes all over the sports world that are sources of inspiration. They're real and interesting stories and role models, and I feel like they could use more exposure. So I think that's what this podcast is going to be about. I figure if I'm interested in seeing and hearing more about this as a sports fan, maybe a lot of other people are too. Yes, and in the same light, I've noticed the need for the elevation of women's voices in the sports world. And having shared, you know, these with Ro and with Molly, you know, many of my friends, um, we know that the time is now. And we have ultimately decided that we can't just sit back and talk about what's not. And that instead, we need to proactively create a space in which we can come together as the collective voices that we need. Female athletes receive only 4% of sports media coverage. We want to do our part to change that sad statistic. We'll be showcasing the stars, the stories, and the leaders in women's sports. I can't wait to dive into the topics we've lined up, and I'm buzzing about the opportunity to share this platform with two of track and field's fiercest superstars and coolest people, Molly and Alicia. What are some things listeners can expect on this podcast? Well, the thing on my mind right now is the World Championships in Doha because I leave tomorrow for them. Um, running the 10K on September 28th. And, uh, so that's next Saturday? Yeah, there's always a lot of uh, drama going on that's around the World Championships. So, but I'm excited for that, too, because I'm going to be there yeah. with you, celebrating you. <laughs> Why are you going to be fun. there, Alicia? Tell everybody. <laughs> Can we jump right in? Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so I feel like one of the topics we definitely need to cover is clean sport. It's going to be across the board from all of the sports that we touch. There's a need for it. Um, in my very humble opinion, I assume most people agree. But I'm going to be going to Doha um, to receive two bronze medals that I never got because they were stolen from me from Dover's. Wow. So I won a bronze, technically won a bronze in 2011 um, and in, uh, from Daegu World Championships and won in 2013 from Moscow World Championships. And uh, Maria Savanova, who has been found guilty, she won a gold and silver in those um, championships and has been stripped. And now um, I will have the opportunity to receive the award that I, I earned at the time. But, you know, yeah. a couple of years too late. But at the same time, I'm trying to celebrate the sweetness that comes with the bitterness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. being real, you know? Yeah. Alicia, so you haven't been upgraded for either of those medals yet? Um, I have, well, okay, so it's been such a long 
story. How much mm. time do we have for this? Uh, <laughs> just, yeah, I just I, was kind of confused about yeah, that. Yeah, quick little run through. I have been told the break, you know, and then we have to wait for legalities that happen. So we had to wait for the court of arbitration of sports to, you know, allow for Samnova to say her piece, try to defend herself. Oh, yeah. She appealed, which prolonged it. This is back in 2015. Um, and so we knew it was coming. It's just waiting for the process to okay. show, you know, here you go. Um, but you've yet to get last year, Yeah. Yeah. And so last year, my results changed on paper. They changed, um, you know, mm-hmm. if you were to look at the, the results on the web, on the web, on the, <laughs> on the web. And then back in Interwebs. I think April, I received a, a call that told me that I was going to be getting a certificate for my metal upgrades. Then I got the package and I haven't opened it because I'm just in such a happy place. Mm-hmm. It kept these feelings that happen with this stuff feel so yucky. I just, mm. I, it's hard to explain it. Yeah. Um, to go back and like from 2015 to keep going, yay and whoa and yay and whoa on this roller coaster of how long that these feelings have lived that are yeah. not great feelings. And my life is so great, you know? Um, yeah. I just stuffed I it. So, no, it <laughs> so, sounds like it was a painful experience to, um, miss out on medals in those years because like just for the viewers who haven't seen those races I rewatched them last night and we can put a link on the blog or on the website um to your races um from 2011 and 2013 and one thing I noticed Alicia um you ran your heart out in those races and I like I feel emotional even talking about it because you could see you were an athlete that gave everything um and both times you dove across that line um and I'm just wondering if you could, like, take us back to those moments and what was that like to just miss out on a medal and after giving everything you gave in those races? Yeah, I'm trying to, like, remember the, that time, which is also what's so crazy, you know, that fresh feeling of, you know, the all the things you've gone through at that time and then staying on the podium, that's something you can't really relive. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think, like, any one in any field that's really working hard towards something. Um, the word sacrifices isn't something that really comes to mind. It's really just what you're doing for the goal. Yeah. Um, it's a choice. But yeah. when it, when you repeat it out of things, it does turn into the word sacrifices in the most like painful way that you can think of sacrifice. Uh, yeah. That's for me at least. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I knew, I, I knew that these athletes were doping. It feels so much better to be able to say this now. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And without being like, mm, I love, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, no, but that is hard. That. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you can't yeah. really say that without mm-hmm. a positive mm-hmm. drug test, even if you know as a professional their performances don't line up. It's just not something you can say without getting, you yeah. know, in trouble or. Yeah, because like I had, exactly. similar, I had a similar experience where I was upgraded for medals six years later by one and Russian athlete and reporters kept asking me, like, did you know at the time or friends and family, did you know that they were cheating? I was like, yep. <laughs> and people are like, what? Yeah. How did you know? Or if you knew, like, why didn't you say something? And that I mean, like, let's talk about that, ladies. Like, we've yeah. all raced cheaters and we've been silenced because what happens if you start pointing fingers at people? Yeah. yeah. I've seen it. I've seen people being called, you're just too slow, you're just too bitter, you're just not talented, you're just blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, people don't get it. Um, it's really yeah. hard for the athletes to have a voice in that. 
and we are kind of forced to like live by the rules and unfortunately the people who made those rules were actually part of the problem and that's to me the most disappointing thing I'm wondering yeah what are some more your thoughts about that ladies yeah, I think yeah, I, you just I see enough. You, yeah, sorry, Alicia. Um, I was just saying you don't you see enough performances that you kind of know the way things can be run and the way things look a little fishy. You know, maybe right. maybe a split that they drop or just how hard someone can close or something like that. So it's not like you see them doing drugs, but it's mm-hmm. just you're like, well, I know what women can do. Like I train with the best in the world and I race the best in the world, and like mm-hmm. I kind of know what's real and what's not just from looking at it so um it's hard to put that into a newspaper because it's a feeling Mm -hmm. but i think a lot of us have that you know we walk away from a race and we're like where was that all year like how did she do that well you know so that's the hard part yeah of course and i think you know in any profession the point of i think the matter of the subject is like this is what we do as a profession so we study we understand the ins and outs of how to get the very best out of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so you recognize that in other people. Like, physiology is real. It's, you know, it's by definition, you know, it's the normal functions of living organisms, you know, and what you do in training every day has a little bit of chemical change to your physiology that allows for you to do just a little bit more and get a little bit more mm-hmm. out of it. And mm-hmm. there's not going to be a leap in fitness that mm-hmm. is, like, astronomical by way of miracle you know when you're looking at performance and I think that's the part that you know spectators aren't seeing they see the entertainment side of it Mm -hmm. and it's like wow look at that amazing person look how she just ran but for us it's like it's our profession so there's a study to all that we see and all that we are doing so we recognize and we understand the nuances of you know these quote-unquote freak performances and sometimes you know we can appreciate real freak performances and be like that woman has a nasty kick it's so incredible because you've seen you know their progression and how that's been able to take place and you can recognize you know just the equation in that specific person that equals their free performance that you actually know is true yeah that there are like majorly talented people out there who are working really really hard and getting the performances Mm -hmm. out but it doesn't always some of these people we see that they haven't put the work in and they're getting the results mm-hmm. out. Or yeah. even um, their body, what they're doing allows them to do more work than a normal mm-hmm. person can. Because mm-hmm. I feel like there is a misconception that maybe dopers don't work hard, but they, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, we all have a limit to what our bodies can do mm-hmm. and still be healthy and functioning. I think most of the clean athletes are operating at that limit or really close to it. And it's mm-hmm. just those... Yeah those substances let, let them work actually harder and still recover and mm. still, you know, um, basically get more work in and then get a whole nother level fitter from so that. Do you think it's that way that they benefit? Because sometimes I've seen athletes that don't look like they're working that hard and they're able to. <laughs> maybe I just hope, maybe I just hope they <laughs> at least. Just, like, I just no, I agree with you, Molly. I think, I think uh, the way I'd like to think about it is like a car and then, you know, everyone has access to a, the same vehicle. And then dopers go and purchase the illegal diesel-fueled turbojet engine that they put on the back of it that allows for them, like, for instance, we go to the grocery store, and at everybody having around the same starting point, you can get to the grocery store in five minutes and pick up whatever needs food and fuel that you need, 
go back, bring it to your house, cook it in a normal amount of time, and eat it. A dumper can use in that same, that car with their diesel fuel jet engine pack can get there in one minute, get back, cook their food, and they already have, like, a step ahead of you because yeah. of what they've added to their vehicle. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the best way to think of what we do with our bodies. It's our vehicle. And totally. if you if you add mm. something that is, yeah. one, cheating, also not accessible to everybody else, yeah. And very dangerous driving at that speed. Come on now, that's deadly. Uh, <laughs> um, so they're not as smashed. Like they're not as smashed after a workout. Right. They're able to. Yeah, exactly. So I do think that they're still flills. getting in and, and doing the work, but it's just the ability for them to do more and recover faster and be able to be on to the next one when, you know, their, their natural physiology would not have allowed them to do that. So I have a question for both of you guys. Mm. Um now, so Ro, with your experience getting a medal a couple years later, was it six years yeah, later also for you years, yeah. for the European Indoor Championships? And Alicia, you're getting your medal now six years later. In that time, a lot happens. Um, you two mm-hmm. both had kids in that time. What was it like having a family to come watch you receive the medal? Or Ro, I don't know if you had a big ceremony other than the one in my backyard. <laughs> but what was it like having some family present? Was that... Yeah, kind of so, cool. So the uh, athletics. Oh, yeah, thank you for that ceremony in your backyard, Bonnie. <laughs> it was really nice. We'll put up the video. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Athletics Ireland actually um, awarded me the medal at the like annual um, awards ceremony there, um, and which was nice. And I got to fly back with my my two kids and my family <clears throat> attended, um, and it was a really fun day, and I really enjoyed it. Um, we all enjoyed it. Um, but you know and I, I just took it for what it was I kind of I don't know I I didn't feel bitter at that point I had kind of accepted where I was at and it was just pure like satisfaction and validation to just like oh wow like th- this was I had earned this and and I'm like pa- I'm out of my sport right now I'd already reaped a lot of benefits of being in in the sport of running and I'd kind of moved past them and, and retired and you know, I was like, wow, like I didn't have that moment to, you know, give back to my, I felt like I needed, wanted to give back to my country. I wanted to give back to my community. I wanted to give back to the people who supported me with a medal. And um, just because this kind of represents um, the level I got to and the work we'd put in. And um, I wanted to kind of pass that inspiration on to the next generation. And I felt like, oh, I wish I'd had that moment to do that, to contribute to that belief um, that Irish athletes can do this. I wanted to. I wanted to be part of that culture of like achievement, and um, I wanted to show other people that it could be done. So I felt that was you know I was disappointed to not have that moment. So when that moment showed up, I was like, oh wow, I got to do this. But saying that, and it it wasn't the same as crossing that line. It wasn't the same as being in the moment. It was only when I watched the European Championships this year and I saw Irish athletes celebrate in the moment, I thought, oh, yeah, I did not get that experience. Mm. I did not have that day, right, immediate gratification after the race that, you know, is probably like the sweetest thing. <laughs> we, do, I mean, doing your best is really, really satisfying, and I like to focus on that and, um and you know that's more attainable for everybody um but when it all comes together on a on a good day i mean that's what people like that's like another high altogether so yeah. um yeah it's a, a roundabout way of answering your question but that was my experience it was nice to have that day i'm so glad it came um 
But yeah, there was still I felt you know only in, only since then that I realized oh yeah it still kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm. I, it's, it's nice hearing your story, Ro. Um, I haven't. I'm. I'm still like wrapping my head around it because I feel like it's been for my slow, slow farts of a little glimpse of getting your medal from 2015 has made these roller coaster of emotions and things that have been going on for me over the last you know, four years. Um, but yeah, same thing as Ro has mentioned. I mean, there's things I think that are very special that you do, that do come out of, uh, being wronged and then things being made right and coming to light. Like for instance, you know, your friends, your community, the support that comes out of it and people expressing those feelings towards you, I think it's very special. I'm not saying that that would have happened you know, it's the moment, but it's a little, uh, for me right now, it feels a little bit different is I'm feeling this rallying of community around like this very sad, but also momentous like occasion. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, people like really trying to get their, wrap their heads around and grasp what is happening, continue to happen in a sport. Um, Mm -hmm. And so those are the things that I, I am trying to like look towards about didn't want it to be me, didn't want it to be Roe, but you know, this is actually happening in the sport. And so maybe with it happening to somebody like me, you know, I'm able to, I hope, you know, articulate in a way of how damaging this is and why we need to be more proactive and push IAAF and governing bodies to be more proactive about, you know, nipping this before it gets to the point where we have to start implementing something like reallocation ceremonies. Are we serious? Right. You know, that's like not the root of the problem. That's not, that's not, it's not fixing what the problem is. And so um, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. And then, but you know, I'm, I'm human and this does really hurt. So I go up and down about being like, yes, this is so great. The upside is, and then I'll be like sitting there thinking about, you know, having a flashback, even this row asking me, about 2011 what that felt like as you know she's kind of talking about those athletes and watching them have that moment and starting to be like oh my gosh yes I do remember that I do remember I was sick in inside of the village I do remember using breathing right trips for the first time and hacking my lungs out and being like this is your chance and your moment your opportunity and like pulling everything out of myself I do remember just barely making it to the final round and you know losing like you know, getting all that energy and kind of almost losing my mind about being so excited, but having my coach be like, relax, you know, your final day, this is what you've worked for. And those, like, knowing all those little things that went on to even get to that final um, race to have an opportunity that was right in front of you, at no fault of your own, not receiving, you know, those are still Mm -hmm. hard pills to swallow. And I think I'm talking to my friends and, um, you know, I know I'm talking to a greater audience and I'm thinking through as clear as possible. Um, yeah. yeah. but, um, you know, I could get off of this podcast and feel like I'm already feeling, you know, so yeah. I know everybody's felt this, but that feeling of your throat kind of getting a little bit tight, yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's a lot there. It. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, you're, re- you're so reconnecting with that moment and the emotion that re- went mm-hmm. into it. Yeah. Versus staying exactly. in the surface. That's a perfect like, way to say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you kind of just stuff it because, like you said, well, there's no proof there. I know this, and you got to move on to the next thing and keep trying. But one of the things that Molly said that strikes me is, you know, you've had kids, you know, and they get to see you, um, you know, being able to, for me, have my my son. I'll try to save the clip, find the clip that I saved with Astro going to get his passport. My brother sent me a message afterwards, and he was like, 
I know that it's painful, but this would have, <laughs> you wouldn't have had this hilarious moment with after <laughs> had this not happened. And I couldn't help but die laughing and cry at the same time. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so true. Cause it was, you guys, I'll share it with you guys. Yeah. Um, but it was just hilarious about, you know, seven minutes of trying to get my son after who's almost two to take a straight faced photo. And we bribed him with gummy bears and those, yeah. those sort of memories that, that, you know, they're yeah. not replacing. Yeah. And they're totally different, but they, they do get built regardless, you know? Yeah. Um, it totally is but, a bittersweet thing because yeah. I, I feel like, like I remember watching you in 2013 when you geared up again and went again, you know, got in the shape of your life again and went for it again. And, um, really went for it. Really went for it. And I could see, and like this is, I think like this after races a lot where I, I kind of beat myself up about what I could have done better. But like you maybe did that for a little while, but you were right. Like that tactic should have worked. Like that would have, like that validation really undoes a lot of like mm-hmm. kind of beating yourself up afterwards or thinking, what did yeah. I do wrong? Like you didn't do anything wrong. It was yeah. just the field wasn't level. So I feel like that's another right. another bitterness to it where you're kind of like, all this time, you know, I thought I did something wrong and instead, you know, I totally should have finished in that medal spot. So yeah. I feel like that's part, yeah. kind of part of the, you like, can, trauma of it nearly. <laughs> yeah, because you're, like, beating yourself up. What did I do wrong? Yeah. I do? You actually did everything yeah. right. Yeah. There's definitely you... a, a mental aspect that is an emotional aspect that is super damaging and it lasts longer term than mm-hmm. being able to talk about these moments. And I definitely have felt that. And, um, you know, moving into a different stage in my life in the sport and then kind of in a limbo stage in the sport, a lot of it has come from that. And Molly's right, you know, in 2013, uh, we, we, we spent a lot of time as roommates. In 2013, we were roommates. And um, I am def- I'm positive anybody who rooms with me gets, and, and anybody that gets a room with any athlete at this level gets to kind of see the ins and outs of, and preparing, but also, you know, we try to do a good job of not having our angst go off on our roommates and things like that. No, I remember um, you were so ready. Like, you brought your physical therapist yeah. over to Russia. Like, you paid for that, mm-hmm. and you had Lou mm-hmm. there, and you had you had everything down. So, yeah. yeah, I was and like, I was the, like, she's ready. Phone. She's invested in herself. She's fit. Like, ha- yeah, yeah, like this is gonna happen. That investment, and it's like, um, you know, mentioning from 2011 and how close. And it's like, okay, I've got to do this. i got to do this different. And I feel like the calculations of how I was going to go about, which I think you can go back and watch, how I was going to go about racing to practice for my next opportunity was really like, okay, like I know I have to be these dopers. Maybe if I, I know I can do 150 kick, maybe I can try 200. And then you try that and you're like, oh, I was kind of dying a little bit at the end. Maybe I can do 250. And like physi- physiology doesn't lie. And I learned that in 2013. 250 mm-hmm. like starting to go for me I was even kind of went like 275 that's the death trap yeah well it changes your strategy it totally like it, having a doper it, in the yeah. race totally throws your strategy off and it just changes the race in so many ways the dynamic dynamic of the, of the race yeah. is completely changed mm. because yeah you have to, you're playing against and I was like yeah in 2013 I was like hands together like please do not let me walk you know, with 25 meters wow. left you to gave, go. You were, like, are my legs yeah. still moving? Like, I was literally just gave literally everything that I had. And that last bit of, like, 25 meters, I can hardly remember. I remember someone t- telling me at the end, why did you move from the rail? I was like, I was oh. out of body. I have yeah. no idea yeah. what, what, you know, I was just, I could see a white line. Yep. And, like, 
you get there. Like, yeah. this is it. This is your chance, you know, so... Wow, wow. Yeah, you just really gave yeah. it all. Well, I'm stoked that I'm actually going to be there to watch you get your medal and cheer. Yay. I hope I can come to the ceremony. Um, I'll be there. Don't worry. <laughs> Live blog it. You, I understand. And, You've got to focus on your stuff. You and the, the whole Montano fam will be there. Yeah. Nice you're there yeah. six years later. I know. There. Full yeah. circle. She's going to want to roommate you. Yeah. Roommate you and Lou. <laughs> yeah, come stay with me. All you guys. They'll bring the whole family <laughs> into my room. <laughs> Molly, that's kind of not a joke. I, I know. Like I do that with you all. She's still looking for a hotel, Molly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to ask you guys a question. Like, what do you think, you know, should be a future process that could potentially be Im- implemented by the IAAF to um, kind of, I guess, soften the damages of, you know, what happens to athletes who are doped against and then, you know... Are, are, I guess, you know, to be reallocated their medals or to be, I don't know, mm-hmm. right, like made those issues to be made right, you know what I mean? Well, like, like my, my words were all over the place, but I'm sure okay. you guys understand what So my first kind of thought on that is that everyone should have the same testing. And like, that is a shock to me to think that from different countries, people are getting different testing. So that what I, the many times I get tested in Ireland or you get tested in the U.S. is different than somebody from New Zealand or Sweden or Ethiopia or Kenya. And like straight away, that's ridiculous. Right. If you're going to test, you're going to if Ireland is going to invest a certain amount of money to test me, I think it should be mandatory for all countries to do the same. And any country that does not live up to that criteria of the same testing, like a, a global standard of testing should not be allowed to compete. Like, that's just it. So we're all standing on the starting line and, you know, I might have been tested four times in the year. Somebody else might not have been tested at all. Somebody else might have been tested 10 times. And I just think that's that's just like straight away, like a, a ridiculous system. Um, so that's my first. <laughs> I agree with you. I think the, the main focus should be testing and preventing this from happening in the first place because there's so much more that could be done. I think there's mm-hmm. certain countries that have been put on lists for inadequate testing and we don't know why they were removed from those lists. I know that happened before Rio. Mm. You know, I didn't see any proof or criteria. Money. It costs money and some countries don't want to invest it, in it. Exactly. And I know countries, you know, are different economical um, struggles. You know, maybe they don't have that as a priority, but I think at the privilege of competing in the IWF, you should yeah. fall under those testing at rules. Minimum, at yeah. minimum. And then harsher, probably harsher penalties should be put in place, something like a lifetime ban, just because I think people still find that it pays off. Um, you know, you can, if you're from a country where the dollar goes really far, uh, somewhere like Kenya or Ethiopia or um, any other country like that, a, a career of only three or four years would really get you ahead in life. And so it's worth it to mm-hmm. d- to dope and then just leave. And then you could, you know, we've seen people come back after many year bans and still get contracts and still yeah. be rewarded. And I think mm-hmm. um, it needs to be a little bit more of a deterrent in the first place. So I think, yeah, that is where mm-hmm. you, you should start with testing. And then after that, you know, if the IAAF could could be more strict with financial rewards as far as the people that missed out on that medal bonus. You know, they missed out on so much they can't get back, but at least that would mm-hmm. help, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you guys are right about 
you know, the place of testing is so strange. The fact that, you know, we have whole countries that don't have, who are not following testing protocol. How does that make them eligible to compete? That has to be the standard. The same way, you know, when we make a U.S. team, there's standards for being able to go and compete for that team. Otherwise, you can't come. Like, I don't understand how you can have a regulation on something like that. Right. <laughs> you can't have a regulation on something that matters the most mm-hmm. in competing in the sport. Um, so, they one, I think that can't be talked about anymore. We have to press them on it is what I found in all of these issues. Um, is somebody, I've been myself in a lot of these issues that needs to continue to press and say, like, I'm not just asking or I'm not just wondering what you're doing. I'm telling you these are the changes that we need. I think along those same lines, um, if, again, if they don't, if they don't comply, you can, their, your country cannot come and be, or that person cannot come and compete if they haven't done X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I also think, like, we should be tested more often. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm totally, and I understand it costs money, but um, listen, guys, yeah. IWAS has a lot of money. It's how they're allocating their funds and their budgets. They do not have to be in five-star yachts, you know, right. at these championships. They can totally reallocate the budget, and I think that's what we have found out. It's this old saying, you know, money is the root of all evil, and what we're recognizing mm-hmm. is the guys at the top are basically, you know, getting to hold all this money so they don't have to spend it in places that matter to keep the integrity of sport. Just mentioning, you know, the testing protocol that needs to be more strict and actually implementing it right now. Going with the reallocation, I think that it's the IWS responsibility to create a fund or like a foundation where they are putting aside like you would do any other savings account, knowing that this is an issue that has been long running and that most of it, like a lot of it they've caused since 2013, you know, Russian doping scandal, to kind of put aside a certain amount of money that they're pushing over to know that they have this to help, you know, pay pay damages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and wonder... the burden shouldn't be on the athletes, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I wonder if that's in their budget. Like, it's kind of sad, but I think they need to budget for metal reallocation, yeah. basically. Well, they're very... I think they're yeah. actually very lucky that athletes haven't risen up collectively and, like, sued them. Because they are the people responsible. They are the people who, you know, didn't expose the cheaters. They're the people who mm-hmm. covered them up. And I think if athletes really found their voice and really found their power, we, they have a case against them. These are the people we put our trust in and like to rule this and to, you know, organize this. And they didn't do their job. And yeah. actually, it's like, <laughs> that's not fair and that's illegal. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it, the idea of like putting funds away to kind of like account for these issues is just to me, it's such a like a negative. Not, you know, I get what you're saying completely, but I think it's a negative kind yeah. of, um, goal. Like they shouldn't they should hire people who are trustworthy and who have ethics. Yeah. And um, also, you know, I think they're lucky to have funding at this point. You know, they're doing so much damage to the sport by allowing all these drug cheaters in because this is a negative news story for them. This is a negative mm-hmm. story for our sport. And it look, it's lucky you're such a positive role model in amongst this. Um, and you can really use this platform to, you know, showcase that and, and use, you know, be a positive voice in this. But really, um, with the amount of scandals they've dealt dealt with, like I think they're very lucky to be a thriving organization, and um, they should be, you know, really honoring their supporters in that way and saying, okay, we're really going to do something about this and mm-hmm. we're going to clean this up. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fraud at, at best, and yeah, just trying to figure out what they could do in 
their middle ground. But yeah, you're right. It should just be like their dedication shouldn't even have to be something where there's, you know, a reallocation budget. I do think that they have to pay the difference regardless. So, you know, it's $20,000 per, for me, specific for the bronze medal. So it has to still give me my $40,000. The damages is the part where I 100% agree with you athletes rising up and, and, you know, having a class action lawsuit, you know, set up against the IWF. Mm-hmm. Alicia, um, speaking of you being such a positive role model in the sports world, can you tell us a little bit about a different topic? Um, I have a question about what is dream maternity? Yes. Okay. So this is actually great to talk about dream maternity because, um, you know, it's another aspect of athletes' rights. And when we talk about athletes' rights, this includes athletes across the board, male, female, men, women. Um, and one of the greatest things that we faced, I think, in many industries is gender discrimination. Um, and a part of being a woman in a sport is, uh, you know, a chance that you could also become a mother. And what I've recognized in the sport as a mom of now two children, I had my daughter, Linnea. You know, I became pregnant with her after Moscow. 2013 it's the the last medal that that i am receiving and i found out quickly how negative the sports world treats a woman who becomes pregnant and Mm -hmm. it's one of these topics that you don't recognize when you first sign a contract you don't recognize you know what what maternity like do i have to think about this as an athlete like my goal is medals and winning stuff Mm -hmm. whatever that's going to come way later but it comes much quicker than you think it is because we most often contracts are in like quads or we operate our brains in like these quads, you know, Olympic year, the, you know, world championship year, off year, world championship year, Olympic year, world championship off year. You know, it's living like that. You recognize, Oh shoot. Like there are other aspects of my life that I want to um, make happen. Some, some people want to make happen, but at the same time, I also don't want to not be an athlete anymore. And so Dream Maternity came about because I had experienced discrimination as pregnant athlete and postpartum athlete where I and many others found out many others had my my uh, contract reduced and then cut because I had a child. And this caused me to kind of think about, wow, like I hoped that my sponsors would recognize the athlete that I've been, the community member that I've been, and that pregnancy wasn't going to be a punishment. The human so why that you've no been. Longer... <laughs> what? The, the human, human that I've been. <laughs> yeah. And that pregnancy wouldn't be a cause for no longer, you know, quote unquote, employing me. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, I had, had the amazing privilege of having Lindsay Krauss at New York Times be interested in, you know, asking me questions and me telling her answers off record for the last four years. <laughs> wow. um, just out of fear, like, you know, I'm going to start talking about these companies and telling what they are doing, but also sometimes I still want to have an opportunity to keep competing and I need a contract to make it my profession mm-hmm. so I could do it at my very best. Um, and she just kept asking the hard questions and I kept answering them off record, off record. And then finally, you know, we, you know, uh, Nike had made this campaign with Colin Kaepernick, which they didn't support out out loud or out front, you know, when he first mm-hmm. had his whole fiasco go down, but then they made a whole campaign around him. And then they had all these mini campaigns that were going on around women. 
and supporting them. And then Serena Williams had their baby and they made this dream crazy campaign. And I was like, this is enough. <laughs> so is, is Dream Maternity um, a campaign that you and Lindsay are doing? Is it a formal thing or is it kind of? It's, yeah. So Dream Maternity is now, you know, just kind of how the name came up was from the Dream Crazy, mm-hmm. from the Nike campaign. If you go and watch that and, uh, and watching them celebrate this mom and be like, you guys don't even celebrate maternity and you want us to dream crazy. That's crazy dreaming, like dream maternity. Mm-hmm. And now it's turning into a campaign having it, you know, had the dream maternity hashtag come out in May and explaining having people go watch that on YouTube. So I don't have to talk your ears off, but go watch it. Um, we'll, on YouTube, we'll definitely link to that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, video op-ed. And now it's become a campaign. So what we want to do with dream maternity moving forward is make sure that we are able to um, connect with women in sports that don't, you don't even have to, you know, want to be a mother. You just are supporting women, you know, mm-hmm. and the possibilities you are supporting families, you're supporting true equity. And, um, you know, what we want is standardized contracts across the board that aren't going to pe- penalize a woman should she want to choose to become a mother or just become a mother? Because it's not a choice. It happens. Yeah. You know? And to explain, um, like, if people don't quite know how Elite Pro mm-hmm. Contracts works, I think you've mentioned it yeah. on the in your news segments and stuff before, but it's kind of murky. It's like there was nothing mm-hmm. really written into the contract other than, you know, maybe a time frame that you couldn't compete for. But um, And you're not an official employee. You're not an official, is, yeah. Which is a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. You're an independent contractor, and so they can just not pay you sus- by means of suspending, cutting, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways. Um, should you not be able to perform for X amount of months, which mm-hmm. it's usually less mm-hmm. than nine. So <laughs> that's, exactly. that's kind of what we're, mm-hmm. we're talking about. You know, it's... Um, right. People are having such long careers that it, it's really not feasible to expect someone to just not have kids or delay it. You know, yeah. 86% mm-hmm. of women in America have kids at some point in their life. So I think it's... I think it, like, de- <laughs> to me, like, I have feeling this delegitimizes, like, women's um, career in sport, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. it's something you're doing and okay, but, like, it's not a, it's not, like, a, a legit job or not a legit move. And unfortunately, women, you know, are far behind men and, like, how much they're getting paid in sports contracts and, and things like that. So you can, mm-hmm. you know, a man who was on the, in the similar boat, even if he's not an official employee, he's making millions of dollars, so it's probably not it's going to affect him as much, right? But, you know, right. I think if we want to legitimize women's sports as a career choice for gr- girls, and we know girls are participating in sports more than ever at this point, you know, these are things that this is what happens to girls. They grow up and sometimes mm-hmm. want to have kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, by, you know, what you've done and what you've been able to do and move the needle in this, in this conversation and actually see change, which is just unreal. And I'm just so proud of you um, and the work you've done and the risk you've taken. Um, you've really, like, changed what it means for female athletes as a career choice as well. Mm-hmm. And you've changed the climate of this whole conversation. You know, it used to be something that was kind of brushed off or met with resistance. And now, you know, you've brought it to the public and the response has been supportive. I think people just didn't know what it was like before. And so now you take this conversation to your company and yeah. it's different now because you you opened it up. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much. And it's, it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, that it has to come to a point where we're looking at something that should have been and you're recognizing, you know, 
our audiences and yeah. our fans looking at like, I had no idea that that was happening behind the scenes. And you recognize how important it is to stand up and to use your voice. Yeah. Yes. And we've had, I, I mean, I've been on, you know, some of these discussions with different athletes and like professional athletes as well, who've kind of just accepted that, oh, well, this is, this was, we knew this was the contract and we knew this was the way it was. Um, and didn't even think that they could ever imagine it getting paid during pregnancy. These are like some of the best people in the world. And I was just like, what? Like, how fair? How is they're that just, fair? Um, they're just taking, I don't deserve this, basically. Yeah. That's what that mentality, but that's what it basically has ingrained in you. It's like, well, if that's your choice. And so, you know, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to be a professional athlete, it's standard, but it's standard for men, but it doesn't matter. It's standard. That reminds me of a mm-hmm. response that I hear that's like my pet peeve um, when someone says, well, you're not running, so why should you get paid? What would mm-hmm. you guys say yeah. to that? <laughs> uh, who wants to oh my goodness where do we start <laughs> this is yeah who wants to start because I, I think i've been owning the floor a little bit my bad no <laughs> the, i um, i hope it's okay that we're interviewing you because i just feel that this oh, yeah. is like you know i really want to ask you these questions anyways and i yeah um really like yeah i just want to talk to you about these things and, yeah so, so when people try to bring the argument like you're not running so why should they pay you i feel that the expectation of an athlete is that of an entertainer. And when we come to these agreements, there needs to be a mutual agreement on how um, we can satisfy the relationship as a true partnership. And in any partnership, in any relationship, there's two sides to it. It isn't just meeting, you know, one person's needs or one group's needs. Um, And I do think that this is an amazing conversation to have. It's one that the women's soccer team was having is that we're more than just athletes. And when people come to us to, you know, look towards inspiration, and you know, how they can equate their life to what they're seeing us do, the relatability is the factor that nine times out of ten has people glued to the screen cheering Molly Huddle on, you know, Roshima getting it on because they, like, have this relatable aspect to it. Mm-hmm. So I think companies need to make sure that they are aligning in a way or we are both being able to help each other tell a story. It isn't just about, you know, yeah. running. Yes. Like, that's what we want to be able to do. That's what we want to do a great job at. We want to be able to make teams. But along with pretend you weren't even going to be an athlete who, or you aren't an athlete who is thinking about, um, you know, maternity. You're not thinking about becoming pregnant. You don't have kids. Along the same lines, this isn't the same thing as what they had in contract. But if you were an athlete that maybe didn't make a team, in one year, does that mean that a, a shoe company should no longer sponsor you the following year so you can have another opportunity mm-hmm. to do all the things they say sport is? Yeah, exactly. persistent. Mm-hmm. You know, get up and try again. Never give up. Yeah. You know, instead, it's like beating you down because you needed to have a life. Yeah. You know, yeah. we are full human beings. And um, yeah. it, when it, there are things that come across, like having a bad year, having an injury, Having a great year in your pregnancy, you know, having yeah. a baby coming back from that is the full support that I think companies need to look towards when they are looking to find an athlete. Yeah, and you're right because that's, I mean, that's transferable to men as well if you get injured and get spit up and chewed out and, all right, I said that wrong, <laughs> chewed up and spit mm-hmm. out. <laughs> and, and I left like, oh, who am I if I don't have this performance beside my name? And so women are just kind of forced into that, you know, with a little bit earlier if they choose to going to start a family yeah so there's a there's a lot to work through i think in sports in general um but i hope the next thing that we could have is yeah. 
you know, an in-depth movement around maternity. Um, So with Dream Maternity, we're hoping to set up a foundation where we can better support women athletes who uh, lose support because Mm -hmm. of pregnancy or issues and topics surrounding um, pregnancy because it's so much more, there's so much more to look at when it comes to pregnancy, postpartum, and performance. Um, There's also very interesting, positive notes um, that can happen with performance if you're properly allowed the time to heal and Mm -hmm. come back from it. Um, It's just that what people line up against it, um, our sponsors, the Old Boys Club, you know, is, well, you know, when women have babies, they oftentimes don't come back from it. I'm like, oh, I found the reason why. It's because you guys stop supporting us. You lose support, exactly. (laughs) It's like it just, it takes the time that it takes to get back, but Mm -hmm. you do get back. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot Mm -hmm. harder. It's twice as hard Mm because you have to come back from having the baby physically, but then you might not have the support of your husband or you might need to start working part-time or something like that in addition. So it's, yeah, totally. Yeah, to give you guys some insight on, and I'm totally more than happy to share, is for me, you know, after having... Been dropped from A6, my last uh, shoe contract in 2016. Um, the issue of having my daughter, then reducing my contract, being quiet about it, coming back in 2016, having that mental pressure of like, if I don't make this Olympic team, I already have a target on my head, I'm done. Like knowing that that was the jump off and the startup point from it. And so having those real conversations of being mm-hmm. like, oh, well, do you want another one? And feeling like I can have this open conversation with my my sponsor's uh, like, well, yeah, we want at least two. And then knowing she's probably going to get pregnant again after 2016. I mean, that, I mean, I don't, th- th- I, I discussed it openly yeah, because I feel yeah. like that's what relationships should be like. Yeah. Um, and yeah. being like, okay, yeah, no, she didn't make the Olympic team. She's probably going to have another kid after that. I did. I got pregnant in 2017 yeah. with my son. But I feel like that's a natural course of, of spacing out how, how these, yeah. the racing schedules are. And, um, you know, in 2017, for me, I was open with every single um, company that I talked to that year about, hey, guys, I just, I'm I'm going to have another kid. I want to. I want to have a sibling. And, you know, it's going to give me enough time to get back to the next one. And I was just kind of like cricket, dead in the water. And the next thing I've got to do is have a job and trying to get back with that, get a job, having my husband go into work, watching kids, tossing them off going to training and having my fans be like, Lindsay, you're coming back to the track. I'm like, I'm doing my very best to see where I can be. Mm-hmm. However, I don't want to be unhappy with this beautiful life that I have created with my family. So mm-hmm. I will, I have, I've had to curb, you know, the, the um, expectation of, you know, yeah. 6am wake up to do, you know, the runs and the workouts that are three hours long and come back with the massage and then take care of the kids and then go to work and then come back from work and do a second run and then wait and come back and make everybody dinner and, you know, try to still remember to talk to my husband. It's just like (sighs) the insanity of that is like takes away from the And that just, you know, and just to your point there, right, of, you know, that's your new reality and to some you know if we looked at objectively looked at your times and said hey are you a value to a company right now well well you're not at the olympic standard right now but hey let's talk about what that's really done for you that has not been a death sentence to you and your platform Mm -hmm. it's only been Mm -hmm. an opportunity and i think sometimes you know in molly's molly's question about well you're not competing yeah but that's a limited you know, it's a limitation on their imagination of mm-hmm. what an athlete can do and the reach that they can have. 
and you're mm-hmm. an example of wow like you're really doing something out here and you're really doing something in the world that's that even you know um it doesn't even it's hard to even quantify what that is it's not it's not a number it's not a it's not a time on the track it's not a place in a race but it's you know it's it's building off that and it's can be even more impactful so it's a, I think it's like mm-hmm. there it's too bad for them because they've mm-hmm. you know they've lost out um and missed you know missed this whole other side of you and what you can potentially what you've done <laughs> so well yeah them. thank you I mean I feel I do feel very empowered right now I do feel like this this stage in my life is so special and amazing and I wouldn't I don't, I don't really, I have nothing to complain about. I feel your power, girl. I feel your power too. (laughs) (laughs) With my, with my life right now, what it's given me is, is this ability to make sure that I'm giving back to help other people find their power. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, again, dream eternity. We have so many things we want to do with it. And I hope that I'm able to bring that power. Um, Mm -hmm. With that said, I have had the incredible conversations and just messages back and forth with um, women athletes who have had their kids and have faced similar experiences. Kara Goucher shared her story and mm-hmm. the amazing, amazing Allison Felix has shared her story in the video op-ed. Yeah, and we get these um, girls on, ladies on here. <laughs> yes, and she has shared that she was afraid to tell her story until she watched my op-ed mm-hmm. and not a week later did she tell... New York Times that she wanted to tell her part of the story and that, that's what we're talking wow. about. Yeah, when like if, about if one of the greatest track athletes in the history of track and field mm-hmm. is feels like she'll be discarded for Silenced, for, yeah. you know, a biological normal event of mm-hmm. having a child, then that says a lot. Yeah. I mean, that just explains mm-hmm. why everyone, how yeah, everyone else felt. Love to talk to her. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah, awesome. And Guess I'm what? sorry to next week on our show. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Teaser. <Let's do> it. <laughs> um before we kind of wrap up, um, Molly, you're not going to avoid my questions about your performance next week in Doha. <laughs> How are you feeling going into the world championships? Um, I'm feeling as good as I'm going to, I guess. I haven't had any setbacks, okay, which is awesome. Ninety percent of what you try to do going mm-hmm. into worlds, you know. Um pushing the Pushing the envelope without getting hurt, which has happened to me quite a few times before yeah, World. Yeah, it's time to find that edge. and Yeah, and so, <laughs> so that's good. Um, we saw the fields coming out. You always like to see who's going to be on the start line, who isn't going to be on the start line. So that was interesting. Any, anything of note there? Um, I had expected um, the Israeli uh, woman, Sal Peter, to do the 10K, but she's doing the marathon. I didn't know that. Okay. So that opens things up and um we're not sure who's doubling i know there's a lot of talk of people doing the five and ten still so okay. well i guess that'll come out later but. do they see some rumor about hassan not doing it that's i don't know yeah i didn't see that but okay. things yeah things get shaken up you know the week before you, you just see get out all these yeah big <laughs> <laughs> so, way for molly um i love it molly do you like talking about um your races beforehand and expectations and things like that or she doesn't look too happy you now. she's like reclusive <laughs> and like or does it feel how, how do you how do you manage the stresses and and yeah all the expectations that you know people have on ooh, molly's going to doha she's going to <laughs> how do you I manage feel that? nervous 
<laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, like you expect the question. I think I'm just not very good at answering them. I'm just kind of vague and just like, we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> That's good to so, yeah. But well, in I your just... heart of hearts, in your body of bodies, being as real as possible, do you do you get that like stomach crunch feeling or are you just kind of like, like some people have this very great ability to have their brain float into another space when people are asking them pressure-filled questions. And then she hasn't taken people... a breath since we started yeah, asking her. Re- real talk, my arm. I'm watching are... her. I'm like tracking her body <laughs> movements. I'm trained to do that. And she hasn't taken a breath mm-hmm. since I started asking her questions. My armpit stains are growing <laughs> giveaway. by the minute right now. <laughs> She's going to go and get a donut after this as a stress reliever. <laughs> totally. going to emotionally eat. Carbs. She's wearing a donut t-shirt, of course. <laughs> I'm such a- <laughs> I think, yeah, it's so great. It's so interesting to just kind of be on this other side of, yeah, I, I think know, that watching. Be, yeah, I'd watching love to get into this topic. It's like my favorite topic to like um, normalize this like pre-race anxiety feeling, mm-hmm. uh, mental mm-hmm. prep, psych up, psych out. I think it's just normal. I think. Yeah, ninety nine percent of athletes. Good, Did you bad. Hear that people, yeah. Molly Huddle said it's normal. Good. The amount of people I have to tell that to, it's normal. Great, mediocre like, beginners, <laughs> veterans. You get nervous. You don't always feel mm-hmm. good. You might not feel very good the day of your race. You might feel nervous, and then you just take it one lap at a time and see what happens. That's it's really but, what everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. By the time it's so true. It's so true. And the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it and yeah, it makes it much that. better for people to not feel like, oh well, if I feel this nervous, I'm gonna sleep through my race or yeah. I'm just not showing yeah. up that day because it comes with obviously... the it comes with the race, basically. The nerves yeah. I find. It's just it's just part of it. It's just your I mean But it's something to be managed, right? Mm-hmm. That you know, have you guys yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever I mean, we could ask, I could ask you guys, have you guys ever had an experience where you felt that you were too nervous or you didn't have didn't manage your um, nervousness or emotions around a race? Yes. Er- earlier races. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. And did yeah. You, is there something you had to learn how to do that to just mm-hmm. come with experience or was it more intentional to figure that part out? I had to learn yeah, how to do it. Yeah. How about you, yeah. Alicia? Yeah. You, wow. you develop a process. So yeah. your pre-race, your pre-race shit stay in the toilet <laughs> so they don't come out on the track yeah, <laughs> yeah no but some and people that's literal and some people it's figurative <laughs> I'm speaking figuratively and I was like thinking literal okay cool yeah, yeah this would be this is I, I would love to just go more in depth on this definitely topic. we'll do a whole um, episode know, that, the way you yeah, ran in Moscow great. that day that was like the bravest run I've ever seen in my life in Moscow against the Russians um Oh, like, I, I didn't see any fear. That one, what? For sure. Yeah, yeah, and that was that, we, that was bravery per, per, personified. Um, yeah, so let's go towards that a bit more. But, ladies, it was really great to chat with you today, and we really want to hear from people. If you have topics that you'd love us to cover, if you have questions for anyone, um, any of us, we'd love to get your input and topics or people you want us to interview. Um, so, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Say follow us. And just and go ahead and drop us an email um, in the description below. We'll leave our email. Thanks for keeping track. Okay, okay. I'm going to stop. press stop record. Unless you want to add anything okay. else to put at the end. <laughs> <laughs> We're That's definitely it. putting that in. Keep track. Keep track. Keep track. Keep track. One time. One. Yeah. Yeah. Keep track. Keep track. 
major shout-outs to Lou Montano for editing favors for What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.